This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, I got a special interview for you today is with Maddie Montgomery. So I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so excited to get it to you, but he is the founder and pastor of the Altar Fellowship in Johnson City, Tennessee. So he's also the author of a couple of books, Scary God, which is fantastic, and Lovely Things in Ugly Places. Now, I and and most of you listening to this, you know of him because of his almost decade-long run where he was the lead singer of a legitimately Christian and brutally heavy metalcore band that I've talked about a lot on this podcast before, and that's for today. Okay, so if you go back to episode 176 of this podcast, which we talk about on this episode, that's a podcast called Contemporary Worship Music is for Women and Effeminate Men. I actually took the time to read the lyrics to the For Today song, Devastator. And I did this to show you that, you know, worship music, quote unquote, worship music can and should be aggressive in a lot of ways. But guys, we don't just talk about the music here. So if you're not a metalhead, if, you, if you're not a For Today fan or whatever, there's a, there's a nice section of this podcast that is for you guys. But we get into a lot of things about men in general about the culture around men, about the culture within the church and how it's not really uh, calling men up to to be better or be more and really how the church has lost its its ability to be aggressive and how we're basically just being called to be nice and non-confrontational. But also, guys, towards the end of this episode, so you're going to make sure you stick around to the end of this episode. We're talking about a conference that he has coming up that he's helping put on in April in Las Vegas in April of 2022. And guys, this could be something that is transformational, not just for the men that attend, but potentially for our country, for the United States of America. And I don't think I'm overselling it. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic at all. But guys, without further ado, I'm not going to keep it from you any longer. Let's get into it. Matty Montgomery, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Hey, thank you, Kyle. I'm glad to be here, man. Hey, I've, I've been excited to talk to you for a while, but I'm glad we were able to finally get this squared away. And guys, as I told you in the introduction, we are going to get all into the stuff about for today, into some of the books and some other things that you've got going on. But I do want to kind of start with an interesting transition because I've been listening to metal. I've been kind of in the scene since I was a kid. Don't worry, I never wore the makeup or any of that nonsense or anything like that. I never drew X's on my chest or whatever. But the, the interesting thing is that you decided at some point that you didn't want to be a front man for, you know, one of the dopest metal bands ever anymore, but you wanted to start a church and that wasn't an immediate transition. It was kind of an eventual transition, but I guess why go into full-time ministry? Why start a church? And I guess specifically why in the tiny town of Johnson city, Tennessee, which admittedly I only knew existed because of the song wagon wheel. So thank you, Darius Rucker for letting me know. It is a great song. It's one of my favorite songs ever. So I guess there, there's a bunch of questions in there. So go with it wherever you want. Yeah. So you know, the, the short answer to why I walked away from the band is the, the Lord called me to. And, you know, through the we, we had almost an entire year of prep time and our, our long farewell tour was like three months, 71 mm-hmm. shows in like 15 different countries. So I uh, saw we, it in Oklahoma City. So I appreciate oh, cool. it. Yeah, I saw the farewell tour. That's for awesome. Sure. Yeah, we, it was an amazing tour. And, uh, you know, I got asked a lot on that tour why why are you leaving? You know, what's, what's wrong with the band or what else is going on? People thought I got a, some kind of better job offer or that we mm-hmm. didn't get along. And there was nothing like that in, in all seriousness, we left for tour at the beginning of 2016. Like I had done a hundred other times and uh, it just felt off. It wasn't bad. People's lives were still getting touched. The shows were going great. We're making good enough money to, um, you know, 
keep our families uh, fed and clothed. And so uh, I, and, and I wrestled with it for about a month, really. And I brought it to my pastor and to my wife and said, I'm not sure what the deal is. I, I just, it just feels like it doesn't fit anymore. And so uh, I spent about a month in prayer and saying, God, I, I want you to give me passion for this. I want to love this. I, I don't want to feel like I, I'm having fun, but I feel a little guilty, like I'm not supposed to be here for some reason. And it was uh, toward the end of that tour, about a month later, that I sort of had this moment of clarity and heard the Lord speak and say, you know, Maddie, there's nothing wrong. You have just done everything I called you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I joined the band in 2007 thinking I'll put out one album and do a couple tours, get some life experience under my belt, and then it'll be time to grow up, you know? Mm-hmm. And we ended up being in the band for almost 10 years, putting out seven studio albums, recording a DVD, touring the world, preaching the gospel to millions of people, getting to go all over the place and do, I mean, more than I ever could have dreamed. And so, uh, you know, when when it was time to leave, it sort of didn't make sense. It's kind of, you know, all, all I had done for, for the vast majority of my adult life. And, uh, uh, and then to, to hear the Lord say, you have just, you finished what I called you to do. It felt like, man, okay, well then I, I want to, I want to trust God in, in transition. I mean, all of us, I think too many men, especially we find a niche and we stick to it. You know, this is my job. This is my sport. This is my hobby. And I'm, nothing's going to change that. And, uh, and so what happens is that God in his infinite grace makes sure that we have to leave that job or we, we have to leave that sport or we have to leave that hobby, uh, because he's, he's jealous. Um, and you know, for, for some guys that can be a really painful transition. They don't want to let go. That's my identity is my work, uh, for, for so many guys. And so for, for me, that was a, I'm glad that I had a, a year to really, or, or that month to really prepare my heart to hear that and, and to say, you know what? I'm thankful for my work. I'm thankful for the lives that were impacted by it, but it's time to transition away from it. And it's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's just what I did. And so uh, I, I talked to the guys and they were so gracious and understanding. And so in uh, we, we then at that point started scheduling the farewell tour and at the end of 2016 went all over the world and played one last time for just about every city we'd ever been to felt like. Uh, and then people asked me, what, what are you going to do after the band? And, uh, and I said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to take my kids to the park and then I'm going to take mm-hmm. my wife on a date. And and then and only then will I start praying about what's next. All of my energy is focused on finishing this well. And uh, man, we had an incredible farewell tour. Many, many people came to faith in Christ during that time. And uh, we just had a, a, an amazing time. I, I got to um, really go home and spend a few weeks and months with my wife and kids after that and, and just begin to, to dream again, sort of back from square one, you know, what do we want to be? What do we want our lives to look like as a family uh, moving forward? And uh, that, that was a beautiful season for us. And that's a big part of the reason that we ended up here in Johnson city is, is we took that time, you know, the end of 2016 is when for today ended. And then in um, the summer Sorry, in in the in the fall of 2017, about a year later, is when we filed for uh, to form our our nonprofit um, uh, ministry, which is now the Altar Fellowship. Uh, and then in the spring uh, uh, of 20, um, sorry, in the the summer of 2018, is when the Lord began to speak to us about uh, launching the church. 
in the uh, and then in the summer of 2019, we moved here and uh, uh, and launched it. So um, it was it was a slow process, and where I'm grateful for the time that I got to prepare and um, you know really posture my heart for what we're doing. But we we launched out here to Johnson City, and funny you would bring up Wagon Wheel. So mm-hmm. when I first gave my life to the Lord in 2006. Um, it was before Darius Rucker. He was still in uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. So we, it was a long, hey. long time ago. <laughs> hey, there you go. So what's funny about that song specifically is I was working in New York. Uh, this would have been back in 2012. And Darius Rucker came by our work because I, I did kind of this multimedia thing for Major League Baseball. And he's like, hey, you guys want to hear a song that I just recorded? And so he hooks into the Bluetooth speaker and plays us Wagon Wheel. So oh, wow. we were, we were like the 14th and 15th people to hear this song That's before amazing. it like went around the world. And so, and my mom is like obsessed with that dude. And so it's like, you know, it worked out really, really well for us, but you know, and we'll get more into the music here in a second. Cause you kind of teed up quite a bit of stuff with for today, but I'm not always interested in the good things that happen in the ministries. I'm kind of more interested in the darker stuff. Maybe that's why I was into y'all's music so much, even though there was light in the lyrics, but I guess for you, even with the time you spent in preparation, the time you spent in prayer, the time you, you spent with your wife, who seems to be down for the cause, uh, from what I can tell from afar, what have been the hardest and I, I guess least satisfying parts about being a pastor, about leading a young church? Well, there's something I, I have told my staff for years now, and it is that uh, people are stupider than you think. Um, and I don't mean that to insult my people. It's all people everywhere are just generally speaking, they're stupider than you think. And, and this, you know, this, this goes from everything from, uh, you know, communicating spiritual mm-hmm. principles to people to like marketing. If you think your flyer, the poster that you're going to hang up has enough information on it, it doesn't. Nope, it does not. You know, like if you think your website has enough information on it, it doesn't. People, and, and if you thought, think that that critical piece of information that you put on every page of your website and the poster that everybody's going to read and understand that they won't. People are mm-hmm. still going to, you know, we're going to have women show up to our men's conference. It says men's conference on all of our advertisement mm-hmm. and they're going to be stunned that they can't get in. And so uh, there's uh, I, I think that whatever you do, whether it's business, uh, you know, a, a hobby, <laughs> raising kids, raising a church uh, that you're going to run into just this stunning capacity that that humans have for being just as dumb as a box of rocks sometimes. Uh, and I think we, we have all, we have all been sort of the, the example somebody would use of how stupid people can be at one point or another. So I think, you know, just walking people through life in, in Christian, um, community, you recognize that a lot of what we do as people is irrational. You know, we know what is right and we choose not to do it. And there's just, what do you do with somebody like that? How, you know, how do you help them? I can't, I can't give you as, as my uh, grandpa used to say, any want to, you know, there's, you got to have some want to, and uh, I can't give that to you. That's gotta, that's gotta come from you. And if you don't want to, I can't, I can't help you. So I think, you know, I think that's probably the biggest struggle for me and probably every pastor I've ever met is, is that if you find somebody with passion uh, if you find somebody who's determined to be everything Jesus died for them to be, nothing can stop them. Uh, but if you if you find somebody that just doesn't really care, doesn't care about success or failure, they're just going to uh, go with the flow and uh, whatever happens, happens and whatever feels good. I'm just going to do that. Um, that no amount of preaching is ever going to change that. 
Yeah. I mean, you kind of brought up something It's called the curse of knowledge that people talk about to where you get up and you speak in front of a group of people and you assume they know more than they do. And the problem is, is that person listening is burning so many calories. The brain burns more calories than any muscle group in your body. And they're trying to burn calories to keep up with you. And at some point their body's like, Hey, we can't give you any more calories to this. And so they just start doing this. They start pecking corn and staring at you, but they're not paying attention anymore. So it's always good to assume that they don't know anything. It's not talking down to them. It's it's kind of bringing them up to the level that you need them to be at. But yeah. let's go ahead and transition now into the music. And the, the way I like to start with guys like you, because we've talked with you know Matt Greiner and we talked with uh, Michael Felker of Convictions. And I'm, I'm always interested in how you kind of got into music. Because again, being a front man, you don't necessarily need to know how to read music. You don't necessarily need to know about any of that kind of specific down and dirty stuff. So I guess what kind of got you interested in music? And and I want to know the bands that got you into this style. Because I've told people a lot on this podcast, Living Sacrifice, the Reborn album, and Zayo, Where Blood and Fire Bring Rest, that is why I'm a metalhead. Those two albums, I can point to the day that it happened, right? Yeah. So I want to kind of know what kind of got you into this heavy, aggressive music. Yeah, so... uh I grew up playing, uh, listening to bands like the Ramones, the clash, uh, and, and, uh, and wanted to play drums in a punk band and wanted to fight the power and tear down the establishment and stuff. And so, uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, playing, playing, uh, playing drums in punk bands. And and then we started to kind of hear these bands, um, screaming a little bit in their music. You know, you had, uh, Bands like Thursday, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even I, I always felt like they were too girly for me, but my friends were listening to Hawthorne Heights, you know, <laughs> bands like Senses Fail was a, another one that we that we loved a lot. And so we're sort of discovering, OK, well, maybe there's a little like an, another dimension that we can add to our music. Maybe we maybe we transition a little bit. And so I, I remember the the moment I was probably 15 years old sitting on my high school girlfriend's front porch with the other two guys in my three piece punk band. And, uh, and we we all sort of take turns screaming. We all think, well, who's the best screamer in our, <laughs> in our, in our band. And, uh, I guess they, they decided that it was me. And so, uh, from then on, we, we sort of just sprinkled some background screaming into the, into the songs and I would play drums and scream. In fact, if you know where to look, there's videos of it on, on the internet, uh, of, of me. Okay. <laughs> all right. Screaming. Yeah. But, uh, then, um, as things progressed, we started sort of writing songs more around the screaming elements of things, hmm. just my random high school band. And, uh, uh, and then we, um, you know, eventually decided, Hey, why don't, why don't I just transition to only vocals and then we'll have bring in another guy to play drums. So, uh, I, I think, um, it was a, a gradual progression in terms of screaming, but I, at, at that point I had been playing drums and writing music on the guitar and so I sort of had a, at least a, a, a general understanding of all the instruments that went into the band and, and was helping the guys write songs, lyrics and things like that. And then, uh, you know, what, what changed my life was um, uh, there were a couple albums. Uh, oh gosh. I'm, I got to remember what they're called. Um there's the uh, Haste the Day album with Burning Bridges. What is that one? Oh, gosh. You would say that. Here, you, you you keep going. I'll look there's it up because I know exactly which one you're talking there's about. There's Haste the Day. And then there's the, uh, the uh, As I Lay Dying album, Frail Words Collapse. Frail Words Collapse, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and then there's uh, 
then there was the Zayo album. It's got a long title. Uh, the Splinter Shards, The Birth of the Separation. Nope. Uh, man, the name of that album was Burning Bridges. Oh, Burning Bridges. For, for okay. Haste of the Day. Okay, yeah, Haste of the Day, Burning Bridges, Frail World's Collapse, As I Lay Dying. And then there was the Zayo album. So so I had a friend, when I was into punk music, when I, when I was playing punk, I had a friend give me Where Blood and Fire Brings Rest. And I heard Ravage Ritual. Oh, boy. And I thought, this this is too scary for me. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting in my friend's car, sweating, listening to this music, thinking, I don't understand what I'm hearing. It freaks me out. I don't think I like this one bit. Um, since then, Zayo has become one of my all-time favorite bands. Have loved them for years and years. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I can't, uh, I can't say that I loved it the first time I heard it. It, it was a, an acquired taste for sure. Yeah, I mean that's the weird thing about about metal is because, and we'll get more into kind of the screaming vocals and how that's kind of a hangup for people a little bit later. But for whatever reason, because it was the Reborn album by Living Sacrifice, that was the first one that I put in. It just agreed with my palate because up to that date, the the heaviest thing I had ever heard was Metallica or whatever was being played on the radio, yeah. and I like wasn't allowed to listen to Metallica because my mom thought they were satanic and all the you know the normal stuff. Like you know she didn't know any better, and so she just said you can't listen to that band; they're terrible. Um, and it was like you know you're listening to like Limp Biscuit and Corn and yeah. you know maybe Chevelle was around that time and Chevelle's still good, but it's just like then you go to something like that and it's like what is this and like. The, the darker side of that music, I didn't have that reaction. For me personally, the reaction was like, yeah, yeah. I think I like that. And we'll get more into that here in a second. But I do want to get into to for today because as you mentioned earlier, I think you mentioned it, you were not the original front man for that band. Okay, right. so you came, came on board in 2007. But this is the rumor that I heard and you see it some places online is that you agreed to join the band on two conditions. Well, And the, the first was that the band was going to have a Bible study every day, all the band members, yeah. and that you were from the stage, you were going to minister to the audience. So true or false? True. Okay. Yeah. So what was kind of the, the impetus behind that? Because, you know, you don't really hear that from people. You don't really hear be like, I'll come in the band, but you got to do this. It's usually has something to do with money and time off. So, right. so why those things? Well, I just, um, I, I, at that season in my life was struggling to discover what it meant to be a man of God. Uh, I had, been really touched by the presence of the Lord and I wanted to be faithful and I, I just knew I can't do it alone. Um, I am at that point was sort of surrounded by friends who were just full of compromise and um, who were weak and deceived and self-centered and self-destructive. And, and I would just sort of go along with it because I, I, I knew in my spirit there was more to life with God than this. But I, I, I knew also that I just wasn't strong enough to stand on my own. And so um, I said to those guys, like, I'll join your band and that's fine. But the highest priority to me is that I would have purpose and, and community, you know, and, and I feel like if, if I can preach every night and we can approach this thing like a ministry, that's purpose. And if we can all commit ourselves to growing together as brothers in Christ, that's community. And if I can have those two things, I feel like nothing's impossible for me. So, um, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to make what we did matter, even if it was only for a few months. Well, the, the odd thing about that is perhaps the most disappointing thing being adult an adult now in my mid thirties and going back and looking on all those bands that were in the scene is you've seen 
almost every single one of those members of every single one of those bands deconstruct their faith. Okay. Or you found out that they didn't have faith at all to begin with. And so I remember hearing this about the band embodiment. So, uh, the, the members of embodiment, this was a few years ago, they said, yeah, we just said we were a Christian band because we didn't cuss in our lyrics and we kept our drinking and smoking, you know, outside the doors. But it was like, we could have played a bar show and made two or 300 bucks, or we could play a church show and make 1200 bucks. And so it was like, for us, you know, we're, we're trying to pay the bills and, you know, this is a, you know, a small band that, that's not going to be touring arenas. And yep. so I, I guess that's, that's been the most disappointing thing for me, but for you and for today, that was a legitimately Christian band where the members were legitimately Christians and they weren't just playing, you know, they, they were just playing around. Like even go, you mentioned Asley dying earlier and we've, we've seen kind of what happened with Tim and the, you know, him going to jail and all those different things, but he's deconstructed his faith. Then he said, yeah, you know, when kids wanted to pray for me after shows, I would just close my eyes and, you know, wait for it to be over. But it's just like, it's so disappointing to hear that. But for you, is it different because maybe you toured with some of these, these Christian bands and they were, they were, you know, part of your confidential inner circle or something like that. What's kind of your thought process behind that? Well, I, I, I'll tell you a story. Uh, recently, uh, I was in maybe a couple years ago, I was in uh, Maine and I was hunting a bear. Actually that bear, that bear. Look at that thing. Yeah. Nicely done. How hunting. did he taste or she? Oh, delicious. Yeah. Tasted was, good. All right. Yeah. Very uh, good. So, so I was, hunting that bear. Uh, and we, so we, we put the dogs, um, on, on this bear at seven in the morning. And, uh, we kept thinking that the dogs had the bear treed and we were going to hike in and, and, uh, get it. But then the bear would start moving again. And so this bear never climbed a tree, a 350 pound boar. I mean, just monster of a black bear. And, uh, uh, and, and it never climbed a tree for seven straight hours this bear just ran straight lines across mountains in the, the, on the Northern tip of the Appalachian mountains up there in Maine. And, um, and so for seven straight hours, we had to chase this bear through the woods. And I, I mean, I don't think I've ever been more exhausted in my life. I at one point stopped cause I thought I was about to throw up. It was, I mean, just everything, everything in me. I shot this bear and then sat down next to him and could have slept for a week. It felt like it was just, <laughs> I mean, chasing the bear up the side of a mountain through some of the thickest brush uh, I have ever seen in my life, let alone had to run through just thorns everywhere. You know, my, I, when I took a shower afterwards, there were open cuts from uh, from from uh, thorns and, and sticks that I'd run through. And at one point, one of the uh, the guys that's with me, uh, he was there from there in Maine. And he said, he said, you know, they that the old timers used to say about the trees in Maine that they grow so thick when you're in the woods, you couldn't fall over if you wanted to. And, uh, and that has always sort of stuck with me as this amazing illustration that it, it was actually true. I was in these woods and there were times that I'm pushing two tree, two, two, uh, uh, tree, um, uh, sort of, uh, yeah, two, I'm pushing two trees apart so that I can sort of squeeze between them. And it's really true that if I would have gotten so exhausted uh, that I couldn't stand anymore. These trees were so tight together, they would have held me up. And um, and the truth is, I think all of us get like that sometimes. Uh, but the ones that are wise, we make decisions before we get exhausted to surround ourselves with trees, to surround ourselves with people that have deep roots. And um, 
and, and strong branches, people that are going to stay strong for the long run so that when, not if, but when we begin to falter or to, to fail, that we can actually lean on the strength of somebody else. But when you are a guy in a hardcore band, you're living life on an island. Um, you know, if the guys in your ba- if you're lucky enough to have guys in your band like I did, uh, they can they can be a big help. But even you know, you get to the point where you're all so close that you kind of know what each other are thinking. So you don't ask for their advice or help anymore because you already know what they're going to say. Um, and so what happens is, you know, a lot of these guys they they start touring in their band when they're 18 years old. They just graduated from high school and they leave on tour and their band takes off. And then suddenly they're 25 and they haven't been in church ever in their life. They went from youth group to touring full time. Hmm. And maybe at the beginning they said stuff about God because they were in youth group and they wanted their mom to be proud of them. And, and, you know, they wanted their youth pastor to think they were cool in their band. But then the world gets bigger and they realize not everybody agrees with that. And it's maybe not always the smartest business decision. And there's no foundation and there's no community around them. There's no accountability. And uh, and so, I mean, after seven years of living on an island like that, I, I don't think that anybody can stay strong forever. And so, I, you know, I'm not surprised by Tim Lambesis' story. It could have very easily been my story. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people that they, you take sort of little steps away from the, um, the foundation of your faith. You make little compromises and, you know, the next thing you know, you're miles and miles and miles away from where you started and you don't know how you got there. So I think um, that, that the universal issue is that, um, is that men, you know, whether they're guys in hardcore bands or, uh, you know, lawyers or doctors or soldiers in, in the military, you know, whatever their uh, occupation is, I, I think that we, we feel this pressure to do it ourselves, to man up and get it done and be an island. But the truth is, man, that all of us need trees around us that can hold us up when we're weak. Yeah, we, we talk about it in our ministry in terms of a foxhole. And we have a whole series called How to Build a Godly and Manly Foxhole. And the reason is, is because if your life's falling apart at three o'clock in the morning, most guys don't have anyone that they can call. If it's not right. their wife or if their dad lives down the road or something like that. Yeah. So we got a bunch of 6 p.m. friends, right? They're, they're down with us and they're down to help until about 6 p.m. But if it's 3 a.m., they're not available to you. And men, right. they do get isolated. They get on an island. That's why we see issues with, with suicide or issues with substance abuse or, you know, guys having extramarital affairs. It's because they don't have people around them that are consequential to them. Yeah. And so uh, I think the, the the point is well-founded with some of these guys that are in these bands. It's, and this was the issue I had back in the day when Lecrae released the album called, or uh, I think it was a, a mixtape or a song. It was called Church Clothes. And he was basically talking about how he, how he didn't need the church. And I've got a lot of issues with Lecrae, but that one specifically, it's like you're calling these men that already don't like the church to distance themselves even further. Right. And so, and that doesn't mean that the church building is, is anything in particular. And I'm sure you would agree with that. Like the Ecclesia model didn't have anything to do with a building and, you know, cushy chairs and a nice PA system. Um, but I think the other thing as well is you can kind of see uh, the de-evolution of lyrical content over time. Because you said, you know, they would talk about things on stage and then it would kind of devolve over time to be more secular, more dark, more just personal. And that was the thing that was refreshing with for today is that your lyrical content, I don't know if, you know, you wrote it all or if the band kind of came together and all wrote it. So maybe you can give us some insight on that. But the lyrical content was incredibly brutal and aggressive 
and raw and even violent in, in a good way, but it was all very God honoring at the same time. So it was weird. It was like weird to listen to because it was all happening at the same time. So I'm wondering specifically if you ran into problems with that, since you were trying specifically to appeal to a Christian audience, right. And, and be sold in Christian bookstores and those types of things. And we'll get into the, the band you toured with here in just a second, but was that an issue for you? Because it didn't sound like a Michael W. Smith song. It didn't sound like a newsboy song. It was so aggressive. Yeah, well, I would I would disagree with one point. I don't think we were trying to appeal to a, a Christian audience. Okay. Um, here's here's my here was my thesis that really drove for today. It was the idea that what even secular subculture kids wanted, hardcore and metal kids were really looking for, if they could get to the core of it, was authenticity. They wanted something real, and um, whether whether it was um, you know, d- to declare that they don't have to be afraid anymore, that there's hope in Christ, or whether it was, you know, somebody singing about drinking and drugs and alcohol, that what they really were looking for was just something authentic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not a sort of prepackaged cookie, cookie cutter album that, that works on paper, but they wanted to hear somebody's heart. And I think that's what drew people to For Today is that, you know, maybe we didn't have the most, uh, you know, gifted musicians in the world or, or whatever, but, you know, or, or the, the best marketing team in the world. But when people would come to our shows, there's a real possibility that I might stand in an alley and cry, you know, with you about the abuse that you suffered as a kid at the end of the show. You know, I might get down on my knees and plead with you to come out of your sin and self-destruction and to give your life to Jesus right there in the, in the bar that your mom didn't want you to go to. And so I think it was the authenticity that, that drew people. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that, that when I was writing, I, I just thought I want to write what moves me. Hmm. You know, I, I don't want to write what other bands are writing. It's, it's not about competing or keeping up. I want to write something that is worth screaming about. And, and that's why our lyrics are biblical. That's why our lyrics are prophetic that's why our lyrics are declarative, not only over my life and the life of our band, but over our generation. Things we, I wanted to see a room full of kids whose lives were defined in many ways by fear, jumping over each other to sing, we are fearless with me. I feel like, man, what an amazing opportunity to invite kids into, into declaring something that might be transformational or, or at least encouraging uh, for their life. And so that was the, really my, my strategy and my perspective was I just wanted to give kids something real, um, something that, that wasn't just a show, but was really an overflow of, of my heart and my captivation with the Lord. Well, Maddie, uh, I could just got to tell you as an aside here, I normally struggle with what to call my podcast episodes. And normally the person I'm interviewing doesn't help me with that. But I just wrote down something worth screaming about. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the title of the next book it. or something like that, but I love it. Thank you for your help on that. But you, you kind of talked about this a little bit. And I remember first having this kind of inner dissonance when POD, right? The Christian band, you know, fundamental elements of Southtown, when they went on tour with Corn, I was like, no, no, they're going to be sacrificing babies in the mosh pit. You can't do that. What are you going to do? Like, again, I'm just a young Christian at that point. Yeah. But you guys didn't just play festivals with bands like this. You toured with bands that were openly satanic or, yeah. or just atheists or really anti-Christ bands. They belittled you from the stage. They, they would make fun of y'all from the stage. The crowds were hostile towards you. And, and again, I, I don't see you as a guy that would be too terribly intimidated by that. But if you're just getting peppered with that 
night after night after night on tour. It's got to weigh on you, right? You know, I think in some ways I would, I would take that 10 times out of 10 over um, fickle congratulations. You know, I, I like I'll take people cussing me out over my faith, over people golf clapping me and dismissing me. Right. I, I would hatred is easily uh, more valuable than indifference. And so uh, I, I think we sort of settle for the um, self-congratulatory accolades that we get preaching to the choir on Twitter or Instagram, preaching to people that we know agree with our opinions. But the truth is, man. Uh, those were the people we were there for the bands that hated what we stood for the, the kids in the crowd that, that had their pentagram shirt on and their middle fingers in the air while I was preaching the gospel to them. Like, that's the reason that we were there. That's the whole purpose point of it. And so, you know, frankly, man, the gospel, it offended me before it saved me. Uh, you know, it, it confronted me with my own need and that was an insult to my pride. Uh, and I think, uh, I think that's the the sort of universal struggle that many of us have with the gospel is that it's it's Jesus doesn't demand uh, doesn't ask to be a, an, an accessory in your otherwise full life. He demands to be the Lord of your life. That's crazy. What a high price to pay. I mean, that's serious. And so, for people to get offended by the gospel it must mean I'm doing a good job preaching it. Um, because because for every person, you know, with the pentagram on their shirt and their middle fingers in the air. There's a guy standing right next to him with tears running down his cheeks as he realizes this is what I've been waiting for. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was brutal. I mean, the opposition sometimes was crazy and we had people threaten us and spit on me and cuss me out and, you know, you name it, but, uh, that's the reason that we were there. And, and it just, it means that they're hearing what I'm saying. And, uh, obviously I'm not going for persecution. I, I'm, I'm just going to release the truth and let the truth, uh, do what it does, but you know, truth demands that we deal with it, and uh, some people deal with it with anger, and that's just kind of a a fact of life. When if someone is lashing out like like that, they they pay fifteen bucks to go to a show in a sweaty little dive bar or something like that, and then they come in and want to do that, they're not speaking out of their strength; they're speaking out of their weakness and out of the, out of their anguish and their their turmoil and. Again, they're probably never, I say never, they're likely never going to just transition from seeing you guys on a Saturday night and into a church building the next day. And that that person in, you know, their $2,000 suit and their shined up shoes and all that preaching about, you know, hellfire and brimstone, that's probably not going to have the the same effect. And so it's a very, it's a very first century church way of kind of passing the gospel on. So, so I, I commend you for that. But now that I'm, you know, telling you all these great things about you, I always like making people a little bit uncomfortable with my questions, especially artists. So what I'm going to make you do right now, Maddie, is I'm going to make you pick your favorite kid. Okay. So I'm going to make you not your actual kid. Cause I know you got three boys and you know, you don't have to tell me which one's your favorite, but if you could only leave one for today album, right. And one for today song for the world, which would, which album would it be? And which song would it be? And they don't, that song doesn't have to be on that album, but you get one album to leave and one song. Okay. Which the doesn't make album. sense because an album has a bunch of songs on it, but you know, I appreciate it. That's right. Yeah. The album would be, <laughs> Fight the silence. Uh, I just felt like that one came together great, and the mm-hmm. song would be uh, "King." It's a song off of it's it's a song at the end of "Breaker" uh, mm-hmm. that I felt like never got the respect it deserved. <laughs> I feel like that's okay. probably 
are most either that one or dead to rights, which is one off of fight the silence. I think um, uh, both just sort of flew under the radar and I felt like they were really sick songs that nobody ever really cared about. Well, what's funny about that is if somebody asks me, Hey man, I can't listen to the whole discover discography. Give me the one for today album that, you know, kind of gives you a sense of this band, you know, breaker was the album that got me interested in your band. That was the first uh, one that I saw, but I feel like all of y'all's talents and just, I feel like everything came together with fight the silence. Right. Oh, wow. uh, and so even the prevailer, the prevailer EP, that, that was a really, really strong EP for me, but yeah, the fight, the silence, there was just something about that album. It felt super complete. Not that the other ones didn't feel complete. It's just like if you would just want to nip uh, pick individual songs, like that was a good album to do that on. If you wanted to just hit play and go from track one all the way to the end, it was going to be a good album as well. So I appreciate you getting into that. But I, I do want to kind of spread out a little bit from for today a little bit and just talk about Christian music in general. So uh, one of the most popular episodes that we've ever done of our podcast is episode 176, which is called Contemporary Worship Music is for Women and Effeminate Men. Um, and so I sent I was thinking about sending your assistant a, 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 that episode, but that episode doesn't strike everybody the exact same. But I can say the the response has been overwhelming to that particular episode. Now, in that episode, I took the time to read the lyrics to your song, Devastator. And I read it from beginning to end. And I read it as an example of this is what I feel like a lot of men would want in their lyrical content. It's way more Psalms than it is, you know, meek and mild Jesus kissing people on the tips of their noses saying how cute they look that day. Um, and the, the thing about it is, is that that song does something different to me when I listen to it than when I listen to any other type of worship music, yeah. right? And like I even, at your show in Oklahoma City on your farewell tour, I turned to my friend and I said, if they play Devastator, I am not responsible for what I do inside this room. <laughs> and then like literally the very next song was that and I was like, clear the room. And so it was, a, it was like, it's just a different type of song. But do you feel like contemporary worship music, the, the radio worship music is pushing men away from the church or keeping men away from the church? Cause that was one of my things I talked about in that episode is men are there at worship and they don't understand why it's not landing, but the lyrical content is effeminate. The, the musicianship isn't good. Maybe they just don't really like that type of music. And they're being told, as I was told, Hey man, if you don't like Christian worship music, you might not be saved. Do you feel like that's, that's something that you deal with? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think the, maybe the broader conversation is, is essentially you can only appeal to people in, in one of two ways that is in by way of action or emotion. Um, and w all of Christian entertainment is aimed at your emotion. I mean, try watching any Christian movie mm -hmm. and not crying at the end of it, you know, yeah. and they're, they're great movies and I watch them and I cry and I'm like, I want to be a better dad. Right. <laughs> and it, it touches my heart. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, now I'll sit and cry with you over the, the emotional song or the emotional movie. Um, but, uh, but at some point we've got to do more than just sit around and cry. And I think that's where kingdom men are sort of left to their own devices. What does it really look like to, to do something for my family? Right. If, if, you know, if my kids, if I find out that my son is addicted to drugs, if I find out that my wife had an affair. If, you know, if I, if I find out that, you know, one of my, um, one of the, the kids in, in, in my, uh, my son's school is, has been beating him up and stealing his lunch money. Am I, what am I going to do? Just sit around and cry about it? Like at some point there's gotta be more than just emotion. There's gotta be action as well. And, uh, when it comes to, 
to to action or to move. And I think that's why songs like Devastator move people because because it gives us sort of an, an anthem for when it's time to take a stand. Because sometimes we we can't we've got to do more than than be just sentimental, right? Mm. And uh, and we've got to we've got to demand more from the church than just moral victories, right? It's like, well, you, yeah, sure. You got a divorce. Your kid killed himself, but you know, uh, God works in mysterious ways and you're going to learn some valuable lessons from this tough time. No, I think, I think we've got to, we've got to do something about the brokenness in our world. We can't just endure it and try to keep faith in spite of it. I think God, establish the church to bless the world. That's what John 3.16 teaches us, that that God's is after the church because he's intending for the entire planet to feel the impact of it. And so we've got to do more than sort of sit isolated in our own little um, Christian bubbles and, and, and uh, uh, pat ourselves on the back for not falling into the same temptation as the world and, and uh, you know, making tearjerker songs and movies for each other. We, we have got to begin to produce content and release messages and, uh, uh, and, and challenge the world to do, uh, sorry, challenge the church to do something with the gospel that we claim to believe. And I think that's where you get songs like Devastator. I think that's why even your podcast seems to, you know, really hit on this, that, you know, it's fine to sit around and cry when it's time to sit around and cry, but sometimes mm-hmm. you got to stand and fight. And, um, and when that time comes, you know, there's going to be a, a, a lot, a lot more, a, a lot fewer people uh, standing in that moment than than were there in church for the uh, kumbaya session. Right, and and some of the best emails I've ever gotten because of this ministry were worship leaders that listened to that episode and then emailed me and said, "Oh my goodness, the entire time I've been doing this, I've never considered the men." when thinking about what songs to choose. I've never considered them in because they're more right brain, they're more artistic. And so they're not considering the lyrical content and the bridge that they're singing for the 17th time. They're they're just thinking we want to get this through and the more hands in the air they see and the more closed eyes and tears, they think they're nailing it. But they're not paying attention to the guys that are sitting there with their hands in their pocket going like, oh my gosh, this is so awkward. And so I think- yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing is you're not giving them any incentive to not want to do that, right? And it's it's partially because we've declawed the Lion of Judah in a lot of ways. And so when we're singing these songs that just depict Jesus as our boyfriend, as this guy that we should just, you know, nuzzle up against, it's like, no, 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 no. He's coming back and he's bringing a sword out of his mouth. He's got a tattoo on his leg and his robe is dipped in blood. Can we pretend like this guy isn't just our buddy? And, you know, I, I'm getting my cart ahead of the horse a little bit here because you talk about this a lot in your latest book. So your latest book is called Scary God introducing the fear of the Lord to the postmodern church. Yeah. And so you were really speaking my language a lot in this book, and we'll get into some specific quotes that kind of elucidate some of the main points of the book, but I always like to hear in the author's own words, what is this book about, right? And why do you think that reader, or I guess, what would you want readers to walk away with when they yeah. finish reading the book? Well, you know, the, the, and it's interesting uh, to rewind a little bit. It's interesting because there's sort of this dichotomy between, you know, the, the fierceness of God, you know, you talked about he's coming back with a sword in his mouth and a robe dripped in blood, uh, drenched in blood. And there's this, you know, he's a, a warrior. This The fierceness of God is, it's important. And so what do we do with that? You know, we have these songs about nuzzling up, cuddling up to, to Jesus. And, and it's this like sort of sweet relationship. And the interesting thing is, I think that those two revelations can coexist. 
Sure. That, they that, have to. They, they, right. They have to. And, and I think if we recognize the fierceness of God, then, then we understand why intimacy with God is possible. Um, why, and I would even take it further and say, then if we understand the fierceness of God, we can understand why rest, why peace, uh, why joy is possible that we don't have to, um, we don't have to live our lives as sort of soldiers who are always looking over our shoulder for the next, you know, knockdown, drag out, bloody, brutal fight that we can actually rest in the sufficiency of the brutality of God. So I wrote a book about it, 80,000 words on the fear of the Lord. You read it in a weekend. That's unbelievable, Kyle. So uh, uh, I I, um, uh, I wrote this book, and really the, the thesis is in the title, God is Scary. It's called Scary God. You know, I think uh, we have in our evangelistic efforts, we've done everything we can to sell God to an unbelieving world. And we've mm-hmm. painted a picture of God as being this, sort of sappy, codependent old man that sits by the phone in heaven waiting for you to give him a little attention, you know? Uh, Jesus, I, I, I choose today to accept you into my heart, you know? Uh, that that concept isn't even in the Bible. There's, uh, I think, a more appropriate salvation prayer would be, Jesus, would you please accept me? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm broken, and I'm rebellious, and, and, and I postured myself as your enemy. Would you Would you have compassion on me, have mercy on me? I think, uh, and so anyway, I, uh, I, I, so I wrote this, this book where I really take a, a deep dive into the, na- the nature of God. And, and there are a couple themes in scripture that I, um, focus on. There's, there's one theme that is that every time anybody has an encounter with God himself or with a, a heavenly being, their first instinct is to, uh, bury their face in the ground and to start mm-hmm. screaming because they think they're about to die. Uh, you see it in, um, Isaiah, he sees the Lord and he falls down and, and he begins to scream, woe is me, I'm undone for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the, the Lord, the King of glory. Um, he's that's, that's sort of King James language for, oh my gosh, I am impure and he is pure. I'm done. I, I'm going to die. There's no way I can survive this. And then, you know, flash forward a thousand years and you have uh, John in the book of revelation, he sees, he sees, uh, uh, an angel and he falls down on his face. He says as dead. And so there's, there's this sort of consistent theme through scripture of people having encounters with the holiness of God. And, and they think it might kill them. The, the word in the Bible for fear is the Hebrew word yare, which, um, we, we have all heard, we've been to churches and we've heard, uh, salesmen talk about how, uh, the fear of the Lord, you know, when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it doesn't really mean fear. It means respect or reverence. Reverence, you know? yeah. Here's the problem, though. The, the word yare, it's the word that Adam uses when he says to the Lord, I heard you walking in the garden and I knew I was naked, so I was afraid and I went and hid myself. Now, if you remember, Adam had a promise that that uh, if he ate from the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would die. So he thinks God's coming to kill him. And he uses the word Yare. It's the word also that Jacob uses when he finds out that Esau and Esau's army are looking for him. He says, I'm, I'm deeply afraid. Uh, and so th- the word used for the fear of the Lord is the word Yare. It's the word that people use to describe the feeling they have when somebody's coming to murder them. And, uh, and to diminish that word as just respect or reverence is, I think, an insult not only to the word, 
But I think it's an insult to the seriousness of God. It's why Paul implores us to consider both the kindness and severity of God, because there is a um, a serious, I think, lack of. Frankly, I would I would even say I think there's a, a lack of respect for God, and it's not because we don't respect Him enough; it's because we don't fear Him enough, because we honor God as our buddy, we honor God as our friend, even our um, uh, even our God uh, or, or our uh, leader, our king, but we don't honor God as deity, supreme ruler, you know, m- majesty, uh, the, the sovereign Lord of all creation. And I think if we see God, and this would be the one thing I'd hope that people would take away, if, if we see that God is infinitely more terrifying than the devil, than cancer, than sexual perversion, than liberals, uh, then, then whatever the news is telling you, you should be afraid of, uh, then COVID, right? If we understand that God is infinitely more terrifying than these things, we can, we can actually begin to contemplate how profound it is that God is for us. This well, is I think God, he stands up for us and he fights for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, absolutely. And I think, I think you said it in your book, but you talked about the uh, one half of Penn and Teller, Penn Gillette, who is a very, very famous atheist. And he basically said, uh, I'm, I'm summarizing here, but he's like, if you actually believe in this, if you believe in heaven and hell and you don't tell people about it, that means you hate them, yes. right? Like there's nothing that you could do that's more evil than that. And the thing is, is I feel like we don't fear God enough to get through the awkward conversation of sharing his gospel, which yeah. man, that if there is a, a better ploy to keep the gospel from being spread. Satan hasn't come up with it yet because that is a tremendous ploy that we're worried about, you know, getting some mean comments on Facebook or someone giving us a weird look at a restaurant. But I do want to kind of get into a couple of specific quotes from the book that I, again, I think really kind of drive home some of the points you're trying to make. So there's a quote from chapter two, and that's chapter called The Two Sides of Fear. So I'll read it here. The subtle danger in all of this is that we settle for the idea that the church should just be nice. We end up believing that being godly means being non-confrontational. God's people are no longer bold as a lion, as said in Proverbs 28.1. Instead, we're non-threatening yes people who have been duped by the spirit of religion into thinking that we can flatter people into the kingdom. So give us some more uh, insight as to that, because I love that quote, but I know there's a lot more behind it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think... You know, we, I have been around a lot of ministries that um, consider themselves prophetic. And uh, most of what we hear in common prophetic ministry, it's just spiritual flattery. It's, you know, I mean, I, as a musician, had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, the Lord says that he's going to give you a new song, which all your worship leader followers are going to say, oh, I've heard that a thousand times. (laughs) The Lord's going to give you a new song and it's going to shake the nations. And you know what? I see you standing uh, in stadiums and singing this new song for stadiums full of people. It's just it's just spiritual flattery, you know? The truth is, man, um, like I said earlier, the gospel f- offended me before it saved me. I'm not saying that we need to be picketing soldiers' funerals with signs that say God hates fags, right? I, like, mm-hmm. I, that's counterproductive. It's That's not the heart of God. Um, but I think we've got to be honest with the world. And I think that, that the start of being honest with the world is is at least acknowledging the need of the people we're, we're talking to. You know, if, if, if I met a guy that didn't have any shoes on and was clearly starving to death, would it be polite for me to not bring up the fact that he doesn't have any shoes or that he, he desperately needs food? No, I, I mean, it, indifference is the highest form of hatred. 
And so for, for me to refuse to acknowledge somebody's need for fear of embarrassing them is, I think, for me to uh, really uh, fail to love them. And now I, I don't run around pointing out everybody's need. I, I think that, um, you know, we, we say love the sinner, hate the sin. And, and frankly, I think we uh, uh, we love to, to hate the sin and we're real willing to take to Facebook and tell everybody all about the sins that we're against. Mm. But when it comes to actually and practically and tangibly loving sinners where we just don't know where to start. And so I think, you know, if, if you want to get into somebody's business and, and confront them about their own need, I think you should first take the time to see their potential, to invest in them, to make sure they feel your love as a prerequisite to calling them to repentance. But man, we can't we can't shy away from messages about repentance. We can't shy away from uh, the fact that that the world needs reminded that God is God and we are uh, His creation. That we answer to Him, and that all of us someday are going to have to stand alone before the throne of judgment and answer for the, the choices that we make. Like that's a serious message. The, the Bible's abundantly clear about it. And, uh, and yet the church uh, often is not. Yeah. I mean, the, the church again, in a lot of ways is more concerned about putting on a good show, which mm-hmm. actually does dovetail nicely into a quote that I wanted to read from chapter nine called the throne room. It's a little bit longer, but I really think that it drives this point home. When Dorothy, the scarecrow, the tin man and the cowardly lion finally got their audience with the ruler of the land of Oz flames burst into the air and a voice boomed out. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. Dorothy and her friends quaked in fear, but then Dorothy's little dog, Toto, tugged at the curtain in the corner of the ruler's audience room and pulled it to one side. Behind it was not a fierce, formidable figure of people's imaginations, but a little old man pulling levers. Sad to say, but I believe this climactic scene in the famous movie version of Frank L. Baum's classic, The Wizard of Oz, is played out in every Sunday in too many churches, but in reverse. Using gadgets and special effects, some churches present God as a kindly, well-meaning grandfather, as you mentioned earlier, while keeping people from his from experiencing the full magnitude and awe-inducing intensity of his true nature. Rather than make him seem more than he really is, they make him seem less than he really is. Now, Maddie, there's a there's a church in my backyard that I'll uh, leave nameless because I have a lot of friends that are still still there, but they are the production church. And, and they, they are, they are the candy, as you talked about in the book, they are the candy of church. You can go in there and you can get your Skittles and it tastes good, but then it kind of fades away before you even get out of the parking lot. But man, do they put on a good show? Like, man, is it a good sermon, man? Like professional musicians, there's some, you know, these, these are, it's a tight band and it just, it feels good and looks good. But then when you get past it and you get into whether or not these churches are discipling their followers and whether they're actually driving the the point home, there's not a whole lot there, right? It's great. The buildings are big. It's spread out all over the country, but it, there just seems to be this reduction of who God is, even though the production is huge and, and magnificent. Is that kind of the point that you were driving home? Not necessarily pointing your finger at certain churches and how they do things, but about how they do diminish who God is? Yeah, you know, I, I think certainly God, uh, Jesus died for more than, um, you know, lattes and donuts in the lobby and a 25-minute sermon from a, a stand-up comedian uh, at the end of a, a, a U2 concert, right? Uh, there's got to be there's got to be more than that. Um, now, I, I will say I've, I, that, that I have been harsh in my life on, on some mega churches. And there are some that are doing phenomenal things for the kingdom and, and sure you can hide in that room if you want to, 
mm-hmm. uh, as a as a congregant, but you can also get connected and join a small group and get discipled and really grow in your faith in some great ways. So I think I, I, I want to make sure that I make the disclaimer that this isn't a universal, if you have a big church or your church has good production, that you should leave it. Um, some, some of those churches that do great production are just phenomenal and they do a great job. Um, but the truth is you can build a huge church without any substance with only production. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the problem is that people can't tell the difference between people can't tell the difference between to, to throw it back to the earlier part of our conversation, the, uh, the band that hasn't set foot inside a church in seven years and they don't read the Bible. They haven't read the Bible since their youth pastor read it to them when they were 18 years old. And now they're 26, 27, 28 years old. And they say, God loves you between songs because they just don't want to go to hell when they die. And the guys that are studying their Bible every day and spending an hour in, in weeping prayer for the kids that are in the room and that are pleading on stage for people to come out of their sin and to come into saving faith in Christ. They just, we can't tell the difference between something substantial and something spectacular. And I think that the, that the problem is probably less with the church, church leadership. The problem is probably more with the discernment of the church that we are, we are buying, uh, you know, it's empty spiritual calories by the truckload because we just don't know the difference. Frankly, you know, a, a pastor with nothing to say shouldn't be able to, to build a big church, no matter how many professional musicians he hires or how big his building is or how good his marketing team might be. And I, and I think the fact that you can, that you can be cheating on your wife and stealing money and, and still have a successful ministry and people can't feel the, um, the fact that the spirit of the living God doesn't have anything to do with this church. I think that's a, a problem and a real indictment against um, our, our church culture as a, as a whole. Well, and you said it there, it's church culture, right? And yeah. so we, we look at this and we have all these different denominations. Uh, people think they have to play for this team or play for that team. And we, we stop, you know, we, we fail to remember, you know, John 13, 34, 35, it, it's by our love for one another that we will, people will know who we are. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's that it's a nefarious thing that a lot of people play games and, and they're, they're perfectly content just joining a church like they're joining a team. It's almost like you're joining, uh, you're being a fan of the team after they win the World Series. It's like, but were you really a fan? Like you're just putting a sticker on your car. You're not actually doing anything for the kingdom. You're just coming in and getting your Skittles. But uh, there, there's one quote at the end, which I won't uh, get it, get your feedback on. It's just, I feel like it really sums up your entire book. Like if I could just grab a couple of sentences, it's from chapter 11, Fear and Delight. And it's this, there's a time to get angry. Failure to embrace this is one reason the church is so weak. We end up ignoring or accepting things that we shouldn't because we think it's wrong to ever get aggressive. I have even heard preachers say that God's not angry. And this is one of those things that even as a pastor, so many pastors are very, very hesitant to get into real issues. And the problem is, is parachurch guys like me, we have to get behind a microphone and talk about real issues, right? right? Because these churches, they avoid talking about Black Lives Matter. They avoid talking about, you know, Marxism. They, the Marxism, they avoid talking about critical race theory, partially because they don't want to do the work to figure out what those things even are. Right. But the other part of it is, is you're, you're looking at a, a flock and they're worried about what they need to tell their son about mm-hmm. this quote unquote trans kid in their fourth grade class. Yeah. And here you are, you know, basically sprinkling a sprinkling a couple of Bible verses on top of a Ted talk, trying to entertain everybody. And so it's the, well, I, you know, actually I do want to get your feedback on, on that as a quote, because that's a problem for me personally is when you have pastors that they, this is going to sound really rude, hide behind the gospel, 
right? Where it's like, I want the gospel to be preached every Sunday. I'm all for that. But when the, when the church is like, okay, I got it. I understand the message of the gospel. Like I, yeah, I'm sure. Let, thank you for reminding me every week. I'm down with that. I'm 100% down with that. But what do I do at my school board meeting? Whenever they're, they're put, putting this basically pedophilic porn in the library at my kid's elementary school, like, how do I push back against that? Because if I just bust open the Bible, I'm talking to a room full of people that aren't, that they don't hear those types of arguments. That's not going to cause them to change. Or maybe I'm wrong. I would just like to hear your overall opinion on that. Yeah. You know, like the Bible says in Psalm seven, it says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Um, and th- there's a problem. I understand the salesmanship. God's not angry. Um, and, but I would just say God doesn't have to be angry. You know, you, you don't have to be uh, in the crosshairs of God's anger. Like that's the gospel is that you, you don't have to be God's enemy. God's fury can be turned against the things that are turned against you. If you would walk in his way, you can be assured that the fierceness and the fire of God is uh, is going to make straight the path before you. It'll move the mountains and part the oceans to, uh, to, to make it possible for you to step into what God has prepared for you. But I, I think that, you know, our issue is that we are building ministries. We're, we're making ministries, not disciples. Uh, we have um, decided to build a brand uh, to, to um, you know, make ourselves recognizable and, and replicatable and marketable. The truth is, man, um, I, I think it's a, a fundamental issue with our understanding of the way the kingdom is supposed to interact with the world. We have taught that the kingdom is sort of the, the, the remnant. It's the small collection of people who are doing their best to, um, to stay sheltered from the, the influence of the outside world. But the kingdom, the, the, first, the first picture, the first glimpse that we see of the kingdom is in the book of Daniel, where uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream that a, a rock that was unhewn by human hands, it rolls into a statue that represents the kingdoms of the world, and it topples the statue over. And then that rock grows in size and it consumes the rubble of the statues and it consumes the whole world and it becomes a, a giant mountain. That's, that's the, the, the first um, image that we have in scripture of this idea of the kingdom that Jesus spoke about quite a lot. And so the, the um, kingdom is actually essentially and foundationally political. Um, in fact, I just read an awesome quote just yesterday, John Knox uh, the great Presbyterian Scottish minister said uh, that resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Uh, you can't, you you cannot obey God and and also submit to another king. So there's this there's this sort of radical transformation I, I think happening in the lives of a lot of men in the United States, where we're saying, hey, the church. The church has been calling us to settle for moral victories. We've been settling for sort of sentimental breakthroughs. You know, we like we're not the, the family that's starving in the church. They don't have enough money to buy food for their kids. We are going to uh, pray over them and we're going to give them some handwritten cards that are going to make them feel good. And we're going to tell them, hey, we really love you guys. And they're going to cry because it feels good. And they're going to go home and actually starve to death because nobody did anything for them. And so there, there has to be. Uh, and this comes back to action versus emotion. There has to be uh, an opportunity for action. And, and I think we have been implored by spiritual leaders to stay out of the political conversation for so long uh, 
um, because they think that that's what faith does. And you just, you know, you pray for your leaders and you, uh, you know, you hope that they uh, are okay. But frankly, you know, some of the fathers of our faith prayed for the political leaders of their time to die. Mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer. Look at <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Right, trying to take right. out Hitler. Some guy, he did more than just pray for it. Right. And, right. and so I, I think there's a, uh, there's some, uh, some, some soul searching that we need to do as kingdom men and to say, you know what, it's, we've got to be willing to lead on, on these issues uh, because frankly, the school board isn't afraid to. And, uh, and Instagram and Twitter, they're not afraid to. Uh, we've got to be willing to lead and we've got to be willing to, to set and establish God's standard. And, and here's the thing. Truth is on our side. It's right. not just, we're not just Bible thumpers that are coming to the school board meeting and reading Bible verses about, about stuff that, that, that human psychology bears out what the Bible teaches human history, political history. It bears out what the Bible teaches. And so as, as we use God's word as our foundation, we actually also have thousands of years of world history that we can look at and say, no, actually what God's standards are, that's also what's best for our culture. You know, that it's, we don't just need fathers and houses because it's what God wants. Mm-hmm. We need fathers and houses because it's been proven to be the primary catalyst to, to upending teen suicide and drug addiction and homelessness and poverty. Uh, it's been, it's been uh, uh, proven to diminish crime in, in regions, that there's a direct correlation between increases in crime and decreases in fatherhood. You know, so we don't, we don't go after the stuff just because the Bible tells us to. We go after the stuff because it's right. That's why the Bible tells us, uh, because this is the way that God's designed the universe. And so we can use the Bible as our roadmap. It may not be our only the, the only weapon in our arsenal, uh, thankfully. But um, I, I think we've got to we've got to begin to lead on these issues and uh, and step into the into the arena uh, because that's where stuff that's where change really happens. Yeah, and and Maddie, the way that I tell it to people is that Christians or conservatives or whatever people want to call themselves. They, they never look at a hill as worth dying on, right? So it's like, ah, that's not really the hill worth dying on, or ah, I don't really want to ruffle the feathers. They just want to be left alone. They yeah. just, they, they're too polite. And then one day they wake up and the war's over and they never even put on their helmet or grab their sword, right? right. And so yeah. when guys reach out to me and they're like, hey, what do I do with these vaccine mandates coming down from these companies? What do I do with these you know transgender policies that are going to be put out in the public schools and all these things? And all, all these people, I tell the same thing. I was like, look, I can't, tell you exactly what to do, but I can give you some guidelines as to kind of what you should do. But I always tell them, I was like, I can't tell you whether or not this hill is worth dying on. That's a personal opinion and a personal decision. But here we are now, right? Because the cultural revolution is going faster than anybody ever assumed possible. Just last, you know, Friday, you know, whenever, I don't know when we're going to be releasing this, the House of Representatives in uh, the United States Congress, they passed the most pro-abortion bill in the history of the planet, not just America. They would basically, every single Democrat voted for it except one. No Republicans voted for it. But basically, it would disallow all states' rights in terms of abortion, and it would codify Roe v. Wade into law, which it is not law, and basically allow for abortion for any reason up to the moment for birth across the country, right? So it's like, is that a hill we're dying on, guys? Is that the hill? Babies being slaughtered in the womb. We've sat by and let 70 million be slaughtered since Roe v. Wade. Is that worth talking about? But well, and frankly, I think what we're not talking about is the fact that there's 70, 70 million mothers that are living with the blood of their, their unborn child on their, their hands. And, mm-hmm. and there are, are you know, actual psychological designations for the, the, the classification of post-traumatic stress disorder that women deal with after having killed their own child because they know in their soul, they know what they've done. 
And despite what politicians have done to convince them otherwise, I think uh, I, I think that they they know what they've done, and they know that they've ended the life of their child. That n- there was nobody else that could protect this child except you, and you chose not to, uh, mm-hmm. because it was in many cases because it was just inconvenient, you know, because uh, it was going to mess up your lifestyle. And and frankly, I, I think uh, uh, another um, thing we fail to consider, especially as men, especially as kingdom men. Is that there are uh, uh, is additionally that the, that much of what drives women to abortion is that they have been convinced they're too weak to do what they have in their heart to do with mm-hmm. a baby on their their hip. I, I here's the thing: we've not done a good enough job championing women in the United States as kingdom men. We've not done a good enough job that the, the the girls in our churches, the the girl in our high school, she should be convinced that she may not know how she's going to pay for this baby, but the Christians in her city are going to stick up for her. They're going to help make sure that she does it. I, I frankly, you know, whether abortion is legal or illegal shouldn't make a difference to us. Our goal should make it unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, our goal should be to make it unthinkable, to, to have such a sweeping transformation in the, the priorities and the passions of our culture that no woman could ever imagine betraying the trust of her unborn child and taking its life. Um, and, and every woman should be aware of her own power. Oh, sorry about that. Every woman should be should be aware of her own power to be, to be able to pull off the impossible and to graduate from high school with, with a baby that she didn't plan on having, to go get her master's degree with a baby she didn't plan on having, to be able to get the job as the CEO, as, a, as the, the mother of a child that she didn't expect to, to have that she had out of wedlock. These are things that that people can pull off, and they have. And there's tons of stories of people that have done it. And I think the problem is that we're that everybody is sort of living isolated from everybody else. That the church isn't being the church, and that the world doesn't feel the love of the people of God nearly as much as they need to. I think that's true, and that speaks into any of these larger issues. Whether whether we're talking about you know cultural Marxism, we're talking about immigration, we're talking about taxation. Is it theft? Is it not? Do we need to give what to, to Caesar if Caesar sucks? Like I get it. Like we get into all these different debates, but part of it is that men just aren't prepared. And again, that's why we do what we do. Our mission at Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness. Part of the thing about being able to push back darkness is if you don't know what it is and if you don't know where it's living, you can't push it back. And so the the thing that I love, and this is kind of a through point of this entire conversation, which I've enjoyed, is – you, you are concerned about kingdom men and kingdom men being able to do do the things that they need to in order to be able to push back darkness. And you kind of put your money where your mouth is because you've got the Alter Men's Conference. So this is something that I definitely wanted to tee you up to talk about. So April 8th and 9th of 2022 at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, you are doing the Alter Men's Conference. So kind of give us an idea about what this conference is, kind of how it came to be, but also interesting choice of location, putting a bunch of men in Sin City. So you're going to have to talk about that as well. We're going, we're going right into the, uh, uh, right into the, the pit. Belly right of the beast, the man. The belly of the beast. That's right. So, um, we partnered with Derek Carr, uh, the, the quarterback for the Raiders to make this thing happen. Um, he's been a, a guy that I've been walking with mentoring for years now, since he was in college. And, uh, he called me a few years ago and he said, man, I, I've just been having this dream with the Lord. He said, I, I want to do a conference. I, I brought him with me to do a men's conference in, in Michigan several years ago. And he said, I, I want to do, I want to do one of these. I, I want this to be my contribution to the world. I want to, I want to get in the arena. I want to put my, uh, I want to get in the fight, you know? And so we, we did one in Vegas, uh, sorry, in Fresno a few years ago. 
um, before COVID or any of that crazy stuff happened and um, it was phenomenal, amazing time. But, but just as we've seen things unfold, man, I've, I've seen kids rioting in the streets and throwing Molotov cocktails into police stations and spitting on police officers and, and uh, you know, robbing department stores in their own neighborhood to fight police brutality, you know, just, uh, just destroying everything. And, and frankly, while any idiot can tear something down, I think it takes a real son to build. Uh, I think it takes fathers to teach children to build something beautiful. Um, and I, I couldn't help but watch these things happen in the street and, and think, where are their dads? If, if, if there were fathers in American homes, this wouldn't be happening. Uh, if there were fathers in American homes, these kids, instead of spitting the face of policemen, they'd, they'd be home studying uh, to, to pass the bar exam and to help make an actual change. Right. They'd be at home studying so that they can um, they can graduate with their master's degree in political science and they can move to Washington, D.C. and make an actual change. But instead, they're just tearing everything down. Um, and so we, we thought, you know what, if we're going to do if we're going to make change, I think I think, frankly, if we're going to make more substantial change than, you know, a change in party or a change in uh, um, legal policy, uh, we've got to go after the men in the United States. If, if we can get American men to say yes to, to biblical manhood, to, to fierce and faithful, uh, radical uh, obedience to the Lord for the sake of their marriages, for the sake of their kids, for the sake of their communities and their churches, I think that that will change American culture more dramatically than a change in uh, from one political party to another, or one president to another. Uh, and so, or one administration to another. And so uh, we are on April 8th and 9th, we're calling men from all around the United States. We've got men bringing a bus uh, from Florida. There's, there's churches coming in, uh, together on a bus from Florida. There's people coming down from Canada. There's people coming from all over the United States to come and join us uh, for, for this weekend. We're going to worship together. We're going to um, learn together. We're going to grow together. But I think more than just uh, having a, a conference, we're going to take a stand. And, and say, we're not, this this ship isn't going to sink on our watch. We're going to take a stand for the heart of America. Well, I think that's obviously a very important message, but it kind of has, here's the thing with, with conferences or church camps, and you obviously knew, knew that this was coming, is you get super jacked up for yeah. two days and you're ready, like you're ready to, to be the guy that shares the gospel and then they're going to share it with two more people and they're going to share it with five more people and then all of a sudden the, the world's in revival. Like, But then these guys get home and it's Monday and you're, you're back in your normal routine and, and your, your wife's mad at you about something and your kids are stupid and your boss is dumb and like all these things just kind of happen, right? I think the thing that needs to happen as an offshoot of something like this conference, which sounds amazing, is man-friendly churches to gather these men with yep. nets with no holes in it, right? Mm -hmm. Where they can gather these men and grab them. The problem that we've been talking about this entire time and as you talk about in your book, there's almost no such thing, Maddie. As a yeah. man-friendly church, because men like these churches, they'll they'll put on a men's breakfast a few times a year, and they'll bring in a you know some speaker to come and talk about how he used to chase women and do drugs, but God saved him, and that's not an an illegitimate story. But it's like that doesn't get the guy moving in the direction that he needs to to yeah. save his family, to save his community, to save himself. Right? Even though we can't actually do that without the gospel, but yeah. how is it that we can create? a tidal wave of churches that are like, Hey, we don't need men's ministry. Cause that's just programming, right. but we need to make a church that is man friendly. Yeah. 
Well, you could just send just send all your guys to the Altar Fellowship out here in East Tennessee. Well, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're gonna have to get some more some more real estate. Though. We'll talk about that's right. Well, listen, here's the um, uh, there's I think two points that I would make on that. First, I agree with you. Um, I see the I see the same issue with with conferences, and and we do have some programs in place for men to be able to connect with each other. We partnered with a, an awesome ministry uh, called Brave Co. That um, it's like a, an app and a website, uh, a website. And what they do is they, um, they, they have already a lot of content, discipleship content for men, um, that, that they can go take, uh, so there's online classes and stuff like that, that men can take that are awesome. But there's, there's also, they're sort of exploding in, um, events that they put on. So they're having brave co hunting trips and fishing trips and bonfires and things all over the country and, and even the world where guys are just starting small groups and getting together and they're walking through some of this stuff in fellowship and in community. And so I, I see the problem and and as far as much as we can, as just a one weekend a year conference, we're addressing the problem. Uh, however, I, as a pastor, meet people all the time who say, you know, I just want to connect in church more. And I just feel like my need isn't being met. And I see something in the church that you know, that the church doesn't have that we probably should have. And I feel like this is really important. And it seems like the pastor isn't doing it. And um, since I'm not your pastor, I get to say to you what I wish I could say to people in my office. Hmm. Why don't you suck it up? And and like, just go take what you need. If you know, if if you as a man need a church where men are free to dance and worship, why don't you show up to church on Sunday and dance like a crazy person? You know, if, if you need a church where men are praying for each other and confessing to one another, why don't you walk into church on Sunday and start confessing your dirt to a, another guy and ask him to pray for you? So just see what happens. If you are, One of the things that we do at our church is we have a, a weekly, every week, all the men in our church, 50 or 60 guys, will get together and pray for an hour from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. every Sunday. And then we go home and we get our kids and wives together and we come back for church at 10. Um, but but in that context, we have, there's there's kids in our community who don't have dads and uh, and they're getting mentored by some of the guys in the church. And so we'll have four or five uh, high school kids that are there learning from husbands and fathers and experienced dads, businessmen. These kids have all the opportunities in the world because they're getting around kingdom men. Uh, they're getting prayed for and loved on kids in, in you know, freshmen in, in high school who've never been around a, a man a day in their life mm-hmm. uh, are, are coming into prayer at 7 a.m. on Sundays and they're experiencing God and growing in, in kingdom fellowship with other guys. And so at, at our church, like I, I tell the men, you are going to be the engine that drives this church. You're going to be the standard that gets set in this church. And frankly, I think that women have become the standard that has been, been set in the church, not because they want to be, uh, but because they have to be. Because We've abdicated our responsibility as men and they filled the gap. That's exactly right. They have been keeping this thing afloat for too long. And so my message to your men, if they feel like, you know, oh, my church isn't friendly toward men's issues. And, it, you know, we're singing songs that aren't conducive to men and the culture isn't manly enough. I think you need to start contributing to that culture more. I think that, that you need to start stepping into a position of leadership. I think you need to start uh, serving more consistently, that your voice needs to be one that other men hear in their ear constantly bringing encouragement and affirmation and even accountability to them. I think that men need to quit sitting around waiting for churches to cater to them and men need to begin building the church in their own image, um, in a way that I think would glorify God in the long run. 
Can I say amen, even though you're not behind the pulpit? Because oh. amen and amen and amen. Like that is that is exactly what men need yeah. to hear. But Maddie, we've talked about so many things and we could go into a lot more subjects, but we're going to kind of start winding this thing to a close here. So there's something that I like to do at the end of a lot of my interviews. It's a segment called, what would you say to someone that said, okay? okay. So I'm going to say that and then I'm going to fill in the blank with something yeah. random, but here's All the deal. Right. It's lightning round. You got 30 seconds or less to get into whatever the topic is. You can't bloviate, can't go off script. You got to go right into the issue. So you up for it? Let's do it. Okay. First one here. What would you say to someone that said metal music in all forms is satanic? Uh, well, I, then I would say that uh, everything that a pagan person has ever done is satanic, like celebrating Christmas, um, using an iPhone, uh, drinking Starbucks, you know, we're going to have to throw away just about every part of our life if we start throwing away things that godless people have uh, have capitalized on. I think God owns music, and I think that God deserves to be the center of attention even at heavy metal concerts. All right. You're doing great. Doing great so far. Here we go. Next one. What would you say to someone that said, the infiltration of wokeness into American congregations will spell the end of the church in America? Uh, I, I think your definition of the church is wrong. Uh, it, it may spell the end of mainstream Christianity in America, and, and that might be the best thing that ever happened for the church. Uh, God's people are going to stay faithful to God's word no matter what, um, you know, woke culture uh, tries to do. All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I just can't get past the screaming vocals in metal music? Uh, you don't have to. Listen to something else. <laughs> That's right. It's If it's not your bag, then I understand. Yeah. All right, next one our, here. Our band here is a bluegrass band. At the altar, hey. I'm writing music with them. Bluegrass, we got fiddles and and uh, 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 banjos and mandolins and stuff. Like it's a a different take on on things. It's not for today. Hey, it's Johnson City, Tennessee. If there wasn't a bluegrass band, like what are you doing That's wrong? What I mean, I'm come yes, on. Sir. All right, you know. all right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said God just wants you to be nice? <laughs> uh, you know. I think God wants you to be right. Uh, and most of the time that's wrapped in niceness. It's wrapped in kindness. Um, but I think kindness, uh, doesn't compromise truth and, um, people won't always consider that nice. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said pastors shouldn't have tattoos? Uh, sorry. <laughs> I don't want to be the poster boy for tattoos. You know, I want to be the poster boy for Jesus. I can't take them off. So like you can go to another church if it's a problem for you. All right. Just a few left here. What would you say to someone that said most churches and pastors are too focused on being culturally relevant? Oh, totally agree. I think we've, we have um, made our churches man centered and, and not God centered. Uh, if, if we make Jesus the center of attention, um, we might be become increasingly culturally irrelevant, but we'll stay righteous. And that's the point. All right, here we go. Next one. What would you say to someone that said telling men to be more masculine is inherently toxic? <laughs> uh, I think you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what masculinity really is. Um, you know, we, uh, I like guns, but I don't like people who misuse guns. Uh, I like masculinity and I don't like people who misuse masculinity. God has made men unique and uh, and special. He's given us uh, significant uh, abilities, unique abilities and talents and strengths that we are supposed to bring to bear to help protect and provide for uh, and serve and um, and bless the women and children around us. 
not to dominate control or, or uh, uh, abuse them. And so uh, I think if, if toxic, if masculinity seems toxic to you, it's because you don't understand what masculinity really is. All right. Last question of the day, Maddie, what would you say to someone that said for today needs to make one more album and go on one more tour? I would say they are totally welcome to do that while I stay here in Johnson city. Cause I'm having too much fun on my little farm with my little family. Okay, Maddie, I am going to make one request here. Okay. So just something for you to consider. I'm going to pitch you on an idea here. Okay. So I'm going oh. like internet salesman. All right. So just here recently, Furnace Fest went down in Birmingham, Alabama. So well, I don't know if you're going ask us to play. All right. Wait, hey, 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 I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting okay, there. All right. All right. But this, this band, I mean, there was about 10,000 people there, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of bands. So we're talking Zayo, Living Sacrifice, Every Time I Die, 18 Visions, Under Oath, you know, August Burns, Red, you know, everybody, Beloved played their first show, Maddie, in 16 years. Okay. Beloved played. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you don't have to dust off, you know, the, the vest and the cool sunglasses or any of that stuff that you used to wear on stage. But September the 23rd through 25th of 2022, they have announced that they are doing Furnace Fest again. And if we can get the right people involved, will you get that microphone out of storage and do a one-time showing? Yeah, I'm not even asking for a full album. I'm not asking for a world, yeah. world tour. Furnace Fest 2022. Are you in? No, man. Oh, come <laughs> no. on, Maddie. Come no. on. Just one just, show. I just don't know if I have it in me, man. I'm too, I'm too happy to act that mad. Okay. I will say this. It's only about a five hour drive from your front door. I did. I didn't look at it this morning, yeah. but you've got a few months to think through it. Just, just keep it on your heart. Perhaps, perhaps God I'll really, pray. really I'll wants that to happen. Yeah, yeah. You pray about it real hard, but Hey man, we, we've gone everywhere in this conversation. I, I really appreciate all the time, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I just, uh, really thankful for the opportunity and I'd love to hear from your, from your guys. Absolutely. We'll make it happen. Maddie Montgomery, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you, man. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Maddie Montgomery. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. And specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a lot of links for you today. I've got a link to Maddie's website, his Instagram, and his books on Amazon. But also, I've got a link to his church, the Altar Fellowship, and then the Altar Men's Conference. Definitely go to that link and check that out. And then also, for those of you that do want to listen to this band, maybe you haven't listened to them before, I've got links to the Apple Music and Spotify pages for, for today. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's just I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook. You can also check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.